0: Glad that you're here with us tonight, and uh, this is a busy place, as you know, and good, <clears throat> excuse me, good things are always happening, and life is always happening, and, and uh, obviously in this week, in this last week, there have been several things that have occurred, and, and one of those things, and, and Jane Massey's here tonight with her family, her dad's service was here yesterday, and we loved Virgil so much, and are so, so happy that he's with the Lord, but at the same time we miss him. One of the good things that happened this past week was that there were three babies born, and we knew those babies were coming. There was a baby born last week, and all that's wonderful. But I've been in this little series called Paul's Sidekicks, the people who worked along with the Apostle Paul. And who gave me the idea for this were Gabriel and Callan and Silva, I asked them one day, hey, what should I preach about? And they gave me a bunch of ideas. And so I said, hey, that's a good idea. Paul, the people who worked along with Paul. And so I've been saving this sermon tonight. I don't know if they're watching online, but they are one of those families that had a baby this week, and they named him Titus. So tonight we're talking about Titus, Paul's sidekick, and so who worked along with him. Now, You probably know, if you know the books of the Bible, that there is a book in the Bible, a letter in the New Testament called Titus. It is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the young preacher Titus. But we don't know just a whole lot about Titus. He's only mentioned 13 times in the Bible. And so there's not just tons of information about him. We know that he was trusted to carry an offering, which would have been a big thing. Now you would just send an offering from your bank to someone else's bank, or if it was personal, you would just Venmo it. And so it would all be easy. But not in the day. You would have to trust someone with actual cash, or it might be actual coins, to go from one place to another. We know that he served as a missionary. And obviously, in, in many ways, we respect missionaries. And we have missionaries that are visiting from, from Chile that are, that are in Houston right now, not with us tonight, but in Houston. And so we know it's a great thing to be a missionary. And he also did something that seems a little bit different for us the way we often do things, in that he appointed elders. Now, often we kind of think about that process maybe in a different way, but according to the book of Titus, He's the one who found the elders that were to be in the various congregations that he worked with. And so I want you to see the primary task of Titus in Titus chapter one, verse five. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he's on this island of Crete and he's there to appoint elders. I forgot to tell you something. This is going to be a good sermon okay? Remember all that stuff I said about humility this morning? This is going to be a good sermon. Don't worry, you'll figure it out in a minute. But, (laughs) uh uh-oh, I didn't hear it, but I know it wasn't good. But his task here is not, let's ask the congregation, doesn't seem to be what he does. But instead, Paul says, hey, these churches are going to need elders. You're the one to appoint them. Now, did he have special power from the Holy Spirit to do that or whatever it was? I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what the Bible said that he did. And part of the reason that they were going to need elders is because remote churches were going to need strong leaders to survive. As I looked at this picture, I thought some folks are going to think this is a little scrap of wallpaper that was left that I took a picture of. This is actually a close-up of the island of Crete, okay, so near Greece. And so if they were going to need, if they were going to survive, they were going to need leaders. As a former missionary, I can understand this idea. Now, we didn't have elders in the church that we worked with, but we had leaders in the church because this little congregation that we started, we started it was, there had never been churches of Christ in that state. And the, the city was 500 years old and churches of Christ had never been there. Our people we converted had never met another member from the church of Christ before. The only ones they knew were all from the United States that would come and visit. I mean, they talk about remote. Now when you start thinking about what it's like to be a Christian on the island of Crete, You're not talking about just someone from the Church of Christ or some other Christian-affiliated group. There's not going to be anybody else on the island of Crete that believes in Jesus except for these little groups of Christians on this island. So it's not like, well, I know they're not from our group, but we could go over there and go to their seminar and learn such and such. There's not going to be any of that. There's no internet, there's no telephone, not a a single motor car or whatever that is. That's from Gilligan's Island. There's nothing there. And so it's going to be difficult. And so the elders are appointed and those churches are to be strong. And the job of Titus is to be the one that appoints those men. So obviously he is greatly trusted by the Apostle Paul. And he's greatly trusted by, by the Holy Spirit to do something like that. So what did Paul want Titus to emphasize in his ministry. I think this is kind of interesting. What he emphasizes is doing good. Now, that's why this is a good sermon. Because it's a sermon about doing good, not that it's a good sermon. It's just a sermon about doing good. If you read that little letter, and you can read the little letter of Titus right now while I'm talking probably three times by the time I'm done, you're going, oh, no, does it take 20 minutes to read? No, it doesn't take but just a couple of minutes. But in that letter, what Paul tells him to do is good. Do good. And so, and and tell others to do good. Paul's message in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, to this young preacher who's off on the island of Crete where no one else is going to be and the church is being planted, Jesus is being heard for the first time, is you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So he says, You teach them what is right, and you teach them what is good. And so that will be the message that Titus gives them. Now, I want you to see how this idea of good plays into all of this. Whenever he's thinking about appointing these elders that are going to be so important on the island of Crete, in Titus chapter 1 in verse 8, he says this about what we sometimes call the qualifications or the qualities of these men. He says, rather, this man, an elder, must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Well, and there are other things he talks about too. But this is just enough, isn't it, to think about. You need someone who likes what is good. There are some people out there that don't like good. Did you realize that? There are some people who cannot wait to hear gossip about other people. There are folks that can't wait to hear about, about the train wreck of someone's life. Now, it's one thing to hear about the train wreck of someone's life if we're there to help them and to rescue them, and it's another thing if we dislike a juicy story, right? You remember that old line from that that line from the old movie Steel Magnolias? If you can't say something nice about someone, then sit by me. You remember that? That's not the kind of person he was saying should be the elder or to be the shepherd, but instead someone that loves good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So How do we do, oh, I'm sorry, there's one more verse here. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he's talking about, again, about the sacrifice. And he says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, this people that Jesus is, is purifying, these people that we would call disciples or Christians, he purifies them because he wants them to be eager to do what is good. You know what I see in this congregation and what I see when we have lots of folks here on Sunday morning? What I know for sure as an an overall group, we are people who are eager to do good. Now I'm sure there are some folks that aren't, but I think almost everybody I know of is. You remember that old sign that you've seen these similar signs outside of towns? The one I saw was Rush Springs, Oklahoma. The population sign says Rush Springs population, something like 3,408 friendly people. And three or four sore heads. So, you know, so you might get some of those every once in a while, right? But we are people who are eager to do good. And he says that's the quality and that's the thing that Jesus wants from Christians. Jesus does not want a bunch of people that come and sit on the pew and that's all they do. Now, it's good to sit on the pew, but you got to do more than that. He wants people that are self-motivated, that are saying, what can I do to do good? What can I do to make the world better than what it is now? It's interesting as we think about it, in so many places of Christianity and churches shrinking. And then they go and, they, they, and there's so many interviews that have been done with, with genera- Generation X and Generation Z and all these different groups. And you know what they say they want? They want people that make a difference in the community. And so you think about all, what they ask for, people that make a difference in the community, and then you think about the number of church people who either it's not being known that they make a difference in the community, or they are making no difference in the community. And instead, they just stay on their own, and they hide in their buildings. That's not what God called us to do. So how do we do good? In Titus chapter 3 says, remind the people to be subjects to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, To be ready to do whatever is good. This is kind of a generic sermon when you think about just good. But sometimes you know what good is, right? Sometimes we know and we choose not to. Have you ever said, boy, if I could just say what I'm thinking? And you just let it fly, right? You knew it wasn't good, but you wanted to do it anyway. You wanted to say it anyway or, or whatever it is. You wanted that moment, that one little brief moment that felt so good, but you knew it wasn't good. And so here he talks about you remind the people to do whatever is good. Obviously obviously being subject to rulers and authorities is a part of that. But do whatever is good. Look for things to do. So why does he say all this? Well, it's because we used to be bad. Before we we're in Christ on our own, we're bad. There is an interesting thing that Paul says in in uh, First Timothy, or excuse me, in Titus chapter one, in the first few verses. There he says he quotes a saying that is six hundred years before the time of Paul, where it says that all Cretans are liars, that everybody that lives on Crete is a liar and bad. Now you know that that is a big sweeping statement that is not completely true, but they have this reputation of being bad people. And so he says, you don't be like what your reputation is. You don't be like what people say you are. Instead, you be good. So I want you to see what he says about being bad in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. He says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared... <clears throat> Excuse me. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us gener- generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I want, to, I want to break this down for you just for a couple of minutes here, and I want you to see this very beginning part. This is the reason to keep us all humble. At one time, you two were foolish and disobedient. It is so easy for us to look down on the people who don't have it all together like we do, right? I say that a little bit in jest, obviously. But it is easy for us to look, can you believe those people? Can you believe those people? And so we look down on everybody who hasn't figured it out, And we look down on people that didn't have Christian parents to raise them and teach them right and wrong. We look down on people who don't know about Jesus. We look down on those people. And that's why they sometimes call us hypocrites. He says, But you too were foolish, and you too were disobedient. Now, our disobedience is a little bit worse even than their disobedience because we at least knew what obedience was when we did disobedience. So he said, You were foolish. You were disobedient. At least that ought to keep you in. That ought to keep you uh, humble. You were enslaved to all kinds of passions and, and pleasures. You lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Boy, I think you could talk to a lot of folks out on the street that don't know Christ, and when you start talking to them, there is a lot of hate. There's hate of people because of whatever race someone may be. There's hate, hate in what was a marriage or used to be a marriage. There's hate between neighbors. There's hate everywhere. And sometimes whenever Christ is not in the middle of a marriage or in the middle of a relationship of two Christians, there is even hate there because they take Christ out and put hate in He says, that's what you used to be, but that is not what you are now. And remind the church as to who they are and how they are going to look completely different than the culture. If the church looks like the culture, then the culture wins and the church dies. The church is called to be better than the culture. The church is called to look like Jesus, not like the culture. So being good is critical. Not being critical is good. But being good is critical, okay? In Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is what you are to tell the people to do. Tell them to be good. Do you remember your, your, some of you have a, a mom who used to say something like this? Be good. I tell you, every morning I leave, I leave our house and, and I say to the dog, be good. <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even speak English, right? But somehow I feel like I need to tell him, be good. And you know, he's an old dog, he's 13, what would he do? He's not going to do anything anyway. So he doesn't care to do anything but just sit there on his his pillow until we get home. Be good. So Paul says to the church, to Timothy to tell the church, tell the church, be good. Do things that build other people up. Do things that glorify God. Don't get into, into squabbles. Don't get into problems. Don't do those things that tear people down. Just be good. So if you are a parent or if you have ever been a child, you might be able to understand what I'm talking about tonight. The thing you wanted from your kids was please give us peace. Just be good. Don't, don't get into a fight while I'm gone. Don't, don't buy something on the internet while I'm gone. Don't do any of those things. Just be good. So what Paul says here to Timothy is, be careful to devote, them, tell them to be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And then he gives us a little glimpse here in the very next verses as to what is bad. This isn't everything that is bad, but then he gives a little little blurb into what he's thinking a little concept into what he's thinking here about maybe what was bothering them on the island of crete and while there are other things that bothered churches and other places this must have been what bothered them in crete and so this is what he says in titus 3 9 through 11 but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that have nothing to do with them you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. You hear what he says here? Quit fighting about things. Just be good. Stop fighting about every little thing. Every jot and tittle, as they sometimes say. Just be good. You know, this is kind of hard for me because I was talking to an attorney just the other day We're just uh, that goes to church here and talking about how he likes to just kind of, let's pick a subject and then we'll... we'll talk about it, go back and forth. I love doing that. That is one of my favorite things. Unless it gets to a point that people can't be friends and they have to divide over that, and then it becomes a terrible thing. But there are folks that don't do it for fun. They don't do it for sport, even though that can be a dangerous sport. There are folks that don't do it for that reason. They're just ready to divide. You know, there's a a book that, that you can that you used to you could get, I assume you still can, that list where all the, the churches of Christ are in the United States, and you, could find, you can get that book, and it has a code to it. Did you know that there are like 27 different listings under the code? We're one of those that's just in the middle. We have nothing by our, by our name. But there's some, maybe they use one cup, or maybe they use some use two cups in the communion. There are some that take the, and th- these are literal separations in churches, those that break the bread before they give the bread out. There are those that keep the bread and don't. There are those that use real wine and those that use grape juice. There are those that that uh, have Bible classes in their building, and then those that don't. There are those that have a kitchen and those that don't. And then there are this and that and this and that and this and that. Now, I don't say that to 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 belittle those folks because in every case they consider those things to be very important. But I also wonder if sometimes we have overthunk it. (laughs) We have overthought what God was calling us to do when he was saying, what I want you to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and might. And I I want you to love your neighbors as yourself. I don't want you to fight with your neighbors. I just want you to be good. I just want you to be kind. I want you to love me. I don't want you to fight with each other. I want you to love me and put me first. I think that's what God calls us to do. I'm not trying to say doctrine's not important. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that sometimes I think we think a little bit harder about it than maybe what God thinks about it. Survival of the church depends on people doing good. The church doesn't survive when people get themselves into a fight or the church doesn't survive when the church just stays inside its walls and doesn't do good because nobody knows anything's happening. They don't even know Jesus is there. Sometimes what I imagine the building like, and this is a great church, and believe me, this congregation, this building is used in more ways than you can imagine. There was a movement at one time where people said get rid of the buildings because it's too much money because because you only use it for a few hours a week, three hours a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But let me tell you, this building, I bet they're... On a regular day, my guess is there are at least 20 people in the building at any one time on a Tuesday or Thursday or whatever. There are always people in here working and doing things and people at our playground. There are always people here. But sometimes the church building is like that, that, that song, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Sometimes the church building becomes our bushel, which is like a bushel basket. And no one sees the light because we've got the light down here underneath the bushel basket. And no one can see it unless they're under the, in the basket. And they miss it. And that is not what God called us to be. Instead, what he said is, you are supposed to be a city that's set on a hill where people see the good works you do, not that you accept all the praise but they see the good works that you do, and then they glorify your Father in heaven because they see what good is happening. That's what God called us to be. Just be people that do good. Titus three fourteen, he says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and to not live unproductive lives. Well, that's tough, isn't it? There are times that we don't do anything wrong. We just are completely unproductive. What'd you do today? I don't know. <laughs> I was talking to, to a young person one time. And young, I mean somebody about 20, 22 years old, maybe, and had a Fitbit. And I said, how many steps did you get this weekend? It was, I think I got 800. I said, what did you do? I watched Netflix. I went to the kitchen and the bathroom. That's it. That's all I did. And every once in a while you have an unproductive day. I get it. But when it comes to looking at our life in Christ, what, what it is supposed to be is a productive life. A life where we help those in need, and we help those who are hurting, and we help those that need Christ. We help those who are in the midst of crisis. We help those, however it is, that are, that are in need. And that's the way we are productive, and we help those, and we do what is good. So here's my question for us tonight. How can we be better? How can we be better? This is for all of us, right? Because all of us can get better. None of us run at 100%. All of us can be better than what we are. How can I be more about good than I am right now? You know, there are a lot of little things we can do because I'm not just going to leave this just and i be over. I want you to think about this just for a minute. There are, some of you are going to go out to eat tonight. Don't forget to tip when you go out to eat. Don't forget to hold the door for someone when you go out to eat. Tomorrow you're going to go to work. Don't forget to be kind to people around you. Send a card to someone. Send an email to someone. Send a text to someone. Say positive things. Be good. Build people up. Be good. Do good things for your families, for your spouse or for your kids or your parents or your neighbor whoever. But think about, even tonight, how can you just do one extra thing that is good? Whatever that is, just one thing that is good. God will be glorified through that, and you will help someone else, whether they know it or not. Tonight, whether you need to be baptized or you need prayers, we want to help you. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org. And folks, we'll pray for you there, or we'll pray for you down here on the front row, or we we would love for you to be baptized into Jesus. Come as we stand and sing.